Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. As usual, I'm joined by Linda Gasparello, the co-host of this program. Today, we're going to look at corruption worldwide. It's a new study which has just come out. And our guest today is Gary Kalman, Executive Director of Transparency International US, uh, the uh, United States part of a global transparency movement that studies corruption and the damage it does. Gary, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me. Gary, what, what is the news? You are the US director. That means you look at the US and Canada and then down south into all of Latin America. Is the news good or bad on corruption? Is it getting worse or is it getting better? Uh, the news is not as heartening as we would like. Um, uh, the overall scores for the uh, globally uh, have not increased uh, very much in anywhere and has actually dropped in numerous countries. So we face some ongoing challenges around the globe. Uh, in the U.S. in particular, uh, we've stagnated after a multi-year drop. So we're not at a place where we want to be in the United States either, uh, and we need to work on that. Two related questions. How do you define corruption, and what is the scoring system? I see scores as low as 14 and as high as 74. 14, by the way, is Haiti, and 74 is Canada. Uh, how does this work? Would 100 be the perfect score? So the score 100 is the highest, zero would be the lowest. Um, the scores that you mentioned relate to uh, countries in the, uh, in the Americas, in, uh, so Latin America, Central America, and North America. Globally, uh, the scores uh, range even more so with, uh, I believe Denmark being the number one, the most uh, cleanest, uh, country in the world, or at least perceived to be the cleanest country in the world. Uh, and I believe uh, Somalia is um, the uh, ranked the lowest. Um, now you measure corruption in government, in public officials. Yes. Uh, you measure corruption elsewhere, or is that the only segment of society that you look at? So we define corruption as the public as the abuse of uh, entrusted public power. So it is looking at the misuse of government funds and corruption in government. We would say things done in the private sector that don't involve the public good or the public trust or public officials, that's simply crime, which is also a very bad thing. But we focus on corruption as it's the abuse of, of public, entrusted public power. Uh, Gary, the United States got a score of 69. Uh, that was below Canada's score of 74. Why have we gotten a lower score? And is this lower than in years before? So uh, looking back uh, at the history of the scores, um, and we can look back while the index has been around for 25 years or so, we date back our comparisons to 2012 when we redid the methodology and I think improved the scoring. So before 2012, you can't really compare scores. But from 2012 through today, you can see trends. And the trend in the United States 
has actually been over the last decade uh, one, there's been some ups and downs, but largely um, going down. Our highest was 75, we're now at 69. Last year we were at 67, which is essentially means that we've stagnated. The two additional points is not statistically significant. Uh, so I don't want people to read too much into that, that you know the US is improving. I think it's essentially should be viewed as a flat score um, after several years of drop. So the concerns are, I think we've seen a number of years in which Americans have become more divided uh, in their and more partisan, uh, sort of setting up camp in their individual tribes, if you will. Uh, we've seen questions about the election um, and the partisanship that drives that, uh, questions about gerrymandering, and so there doesn't seem to be uh, the kind of competition and honest competition in our elections. And all of that drives people to, to raise questions about our, demo, our democracy and our democratic practices. Uh, in fact, there's been numerous studies done by Pew, Pew Charitable Trust and others showing that there's less trust uh, in our democracy and that a uh, majority of people now believe our democracy is broken. All of that feeds, that distrust feeds into the perception of corruption in the United States. I think that that's a large driving factor of why the score has been dropping and why we've stagnated at this lower level. Gary, follow up. Can there be any remedy when there is so much partisanship in the Congress? You know, I think there can be. Um, I mean, the news is not good, but I do think that there are significant efforts to try and reverse that. I mean, certainly this administration is focused on democracy. Uh, and trying to restore confidence in democracy. Uh, that's been met by partisanship, and, and so people are right to be a little cynical about it. But I do think that there's pockets of agreement and hoping that when we move forward, I mean, we can talk about some specific examples, but hoping that there's pockets of, of agreement where we can move forward and begin to reverse uh, this kind of distrust in our democracy. Can you give me an example? Sure. Um, you know, let me say that this uh, index measures two things. The, the scoring measures domestic corruption. And on many of those issues, the issues around campaign finance and election administration, I think we are sort of locked in a partisan, uh, you know, scrum, if you will, that we need to figure out how to get past. Um, and that's been very difficult. But there's also another part to the report which calls which we refer to as trouble at the top. And it's analysis of the countries that are perceived to be cleaner, those that score at the top end of the index. And while America has dropped, we're still in, in the top third or so of countries um, uh, perceived to be uh, the cleanest. And so looking at trouble at the top, what it says is, are those countries uh, while they themselves individually might be, quote, clean, what's their role in transnational corruption? And you see countries like the U.S. or the U.K. or Switzerland, um, which serve as secrecy jurisdictions, which is a fancy way of saying it's easy to hide money in our very large economy where you can set up anonymous companies and move money through our real estate sector or private equity or other investments. And that's where uh, both the U.S. has a lot of ground it needs to make up and, and do a much better job because we are uh, a major 
uh, facilitator of transnational corruption. But that's where some of the good news is. There is bipartisan support to close down the US financial system to outside dirty money. Um, and there are specific things we can do. Uh, we just a couple of years ago, in fact, ended uh, through legislation, the ability to set up anonymous companies in the United States. That is set up a company without naming who owns and controls it. So bad actors could set up a company say in Delaware and move money in and around and the banks or other investment uh, vehicles would have no idea that they're actually facilitating corruption or crime. We passed a law to say you now have to name the owner, the real, what we refer to as the quote, beneficial owner, person who actually is benefiting off the proceeds of the company. You have to name that person. Laws are, uh, rules are still being uh, written to, uh, to implement that law. So it's not in place yet, but we expect rules to be finalized and the rule to go into effect early next year. And that'll be a major step forward. And that was passed with strong bipartisan support. There's other uh, problems in the United States um, that could be solved in the same way. Um, there's bipartisan support for what we refer to as the Enablers Act. There's a bill in Congress right now, which would say that lawyers and accountants and those that help move money, investment advisors, those that help move money through the US financial system that are not currently covered by anti-money laundering laws, um, which help to uncover these uh, hidden, hidden monies, that should change. And, and the Enablers Act would do that and extend some of those rules to those professions. And that has bipartisan support. So we're in an interesting place where there are some places where we see uh, some, some opportunities. Uh, Gary, can one last question. Can, can I just ask you how lawyers feel about being labeled facilitators of corrupt actions? Uh, I would imagine there's some pushback from the American Bar Association on that. So you would be right. In fact, <laughs> one of the, one of the uh, and I would say sad but true uh, realities that we face is one of the um, largest opponents to things like the Enablers Act is the American Bar Association. And shame on them. Um, in fact, the, the law was written such that uh, it matches almost exactly their own guidelines, voluntary guidelines on how lawyers are supposed to handle potential cases of money laundering. For them to oppose this bill is a sad comment on how serious they are about following their own uh, voluntary guidelines. If you're not willing to say, oh, that should be enforced by law because we know that there's some bad actors out there, but the rest of the lawyers theoretically are already doing this kind of these kinds of activities. So it shouldn't add any burden whatsoever. The fact that they oppose it, shame on them. Gary, do we have a lot of petty corruption in the bureaucracy? Do we have people paying to get licensing, that sort of thing, which haunts much of the world where it's very, very common once you're in government, you can fleece people who have to do business with the government. I'm not aware that we have that as a problem. We have a lot less than other countries. That is true. We actually do. Where we have laws, and this is something that is uh, unique somewhat to the United States, is when we pass laws against bribery or against uh, corruption in various uh, capacities, 
those laws tend to be enforced. It's not perfect, and I'm sure that a number of listeners are going to, you know, write and call in and say, no, you know, I saw corruption here and there. But overall, we tend to enforce the laws that we pass. The problem is, well, and let me take a step back. However, in other countries, they pass all kinds of laws, but the problem is that they don't enforce them. Um, in fact, Transparency International did a report specifically on enforcing foreign bribery laws, and uh, we looked at 47 countries with these laws in place, and our determination was only two countries, and the U.S. was one of them, that actively enforced their anti-bribery laws. Um, Gary, I would like to read some of these uh, results here that I'm looking at in your release. Uh, and these are the results in terms of the numbers from highest to lowest. Canada, 74. Uruguay, 74. United States, 69. Nicaragua, 19. Haiti, 17. And Venezuela, 14. That is an enormous spread. Uh, how come that... Uh, Uruguay is so high, uh, and the rest of basically uh, the Americas is so low. Uh, is there an explanation there? Um, you know, I would say that if you look at the actual countries and the leadership of those countries uh, and the functioning of the democracy in those countries, that that would be the explanation. Uh, in Venezuela, you have what is essentially a failed state at this point. Um, the, the levels of corruption are quite large um, from the president on down. Uh, and it shows in the functioning of the country. I believe that the, the poverty and hunger rate in, in Venezuela is uh, off the charts. I can't remember the exact statistic, but um, it is a sizable portion of the country that currently can't meet their basic needs. Uh, to give you an, a, a specific example about Venezuela, uh, a few years ago, it was discovered through a leak in a press report, I believe, in the Miami Herald, that the lead general, the top general in Venezuela's army, uh, had set up uh, a series of anonymous companies, anonymously owned companies in the United States, including a paint company here in, uh, in Miami, in Florida, um, and was siphoning money from the country. Uh, investing it in the United States, and then using those profits uh, and funneling them back to the to Venezuela for him to fund uh, fund a lavish lifestyle, uh, while he was claiming to be a man of the people. Uh, so you begin to see how leadership in these countries can undermine uh, the ability of uh, the countries to function and the levels of corruption. In Uruguay, you just don't see that. You see leaders that are democratically elected, uh, and the country is a far more functioning and above board um, jurisdiction. You touch on a very important point there. Um, you have a map which shows uh, in degrees of uh, depth of color the amount of uh, corruption. I'm looking at it. We're going to put it on the screen. You can see uh, mostly where there is little corruption or less corruption are the democracies. Northern Europe, Australia, uh, and uh, there are some exceptions. The United Arab Emirates seems to come out quite well. Um, so there is a link between corruption and democracy, isn't there? And less corruption in a democratic system, and the better the democracy is working, the higher your score on clean 
governance. You do see that. Uh, and, you know, given our research, I would say it's more of a correlation than causation. I don't want to overstate it, but I do think that there's there's sort of a logic there, right? That if you have a, demo, a true democracy, a functioning democracy, and there's a lot, a lot of democracies out there that are not necessarily functioning democracies, but they still call themselves democracies. But if you have a true democracy, then that means you have accountability. There's some level of transparency and the public has a right uh, when they see politicians are misusing the public trust to throw them out of office and replace them with other people. In an authoritarian government, the opposite of democracy, you don't see any of that. They control the, the media, they control the judiciary, there's no independence um, uh, in law enforcement. And so there's no accountability. Even if people recognize that there's corruption or bad actors in the leadership of their government, there's nothing they can do about it. So it, wouldn't, it shouldn't be surprising that the fruits of democracy uh, are that you have less corruption. Gary, I want to flash back to a conference that I went to in 1999, and that was Vice President Al Gore's Global Forum on Fighting Corruption. It was really the first of its kind conference, and it involved uh, about 500 participants from 90 countries, and a report was issued. But the thing that it had interested me at that conference was we were at a point where globalization was happening and where countries didn't want to miss the boat on that by being corrupt. And so they were cracking down on corruption. And then the other thing was that there were the newly empowered people who were voting. There was, there was democracy that was blooming. And it just seems to me that we've had this tremendous slide from that time. That's only 25 years ago. And mostly because, you know, this, there's been this anti-democratic slide. Would, would you say that this is a correct observation about what's happened over a quarter century? It does appear that there are, um, there has been a slide and a back, a stepping back from democracy, even in our own country, as I mentioned before, uh, people believe our democracy, a majority of people now believe our democracy is broken. Um, compared to some other countries, I think we are still, our democratic institutions and practices are holding, um, but there are rising questions uh, about uh, how secure we are. But globally, as you say, I do think that there is some evidence that we've, we've taken some steps backward. There are differing reports on, um, and I just read something in the paper the other day, challenging this notion that it's it's been a complete backward slide and um, you know things are just all headed downward. So I, I want to be careful because I'd want to take a look at the, the statistics before I say this. But I do think that we are seeing in certain regions, um, and this is this is safe to say, we have seen uh, backsliding. And I think there's uh, there's been some advancements, uh, I believe, in certain parts of Asia, but in Africa, I think everybody agrees that there's been a lot of backsliding. Uh, and you see authoritarian governments and non-democratic type practices truly uh, having an impact on the ability for economic sustainability, healthcare, human rights, education, and a variety um, of social goods are just uh, not headed in the right direction. Gary, is there a relationship yes. between street level corruption 
petty corruption, paying off the police, etc., and high-level corruption. Is that a, an indicator of a basically corrupt society or society ready for corruption? Are there are there giveaways? Are there telltales? So I would actually say uh, it's not that petty corruption fuels um, grand corruption at the higher levels. I would argue, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I think this is the right sort of analysis, is that the leadership uh, uh, sets the culture for the country. And if there's widespread corruption at the highest levels of government, I think people sort of see that and have distrust that the system is going to protect them. And so they create alternative mechanisms, which leads to the petty corruption you see on the street. So do you not also get countries where corruption is accepted? That that's, I was once in one, I won't name it, but I asked how the uh, particular government minister had gotten so wealthy, why he, his family had a compound and a Rolls Royce. And the person I asked who worked for the airline looked at me as though I was profoundly stupid and said, he was the finance minister, wasn't he? As though this was automatic, that if you were the finance minister, you would leave office very wealthy. The way in which people view their leaders, uh, if you ask them, is that, a, you know, accepting could also say, well, that's just the way it is, and that's fine. I don't think people who say that's the way it is would also say that's fine. I think they do think that. And we've seen, we have chapters in a hundred countries around the world, and those chapters are all fighting corruption. And they have a lot of public support, uh, and people want to see them be successful and want to root out corruption. So while yes, it does exist in many countries, it is uh, maybe even longstanding practice in certain countries, it is not seen as an acceptable uh, way for the future. And I think people are trying uh, to fight that and counter it. Uh, we are hoping that, uh, you know, the there are a number of multilateral institutions, uh, whether it's the G7 or the G20 or, um, you know, other types of institutions like the international monetary or lending institutions where countries can come together and set standards. There's an organization called the Financial Action Task Force, for example. And that is a group of over 100 countries that have come together to set what they call international anti-money laundering standards. And these countries are supposed to implement the standards that are adopted by um, this task force. It hasn't been universally uh, successful, but I do think that there are a number of countries that are working towards it, including the U.S., to try and close down these money laundering um, loopholes and enforce the laws. So there are both in-country efforts, is what I'm trying to say, uh, trying to change that dynamic of sort of common practice, but there's also international pressure to try that's being brought to bear to try and move those governments to be less corrupt. So we'll see uh, if over time we can be successful. We have in some places, we haven't in others yet, um, but there are enormous efforts being made uh, to try and turn, turn around the corruption that exists because of the actual impacts that it has on individual people's lives. This isn't an abstract crime. Um, 
American companies uh, are often asked to pay bribes overseas and it's illegal. And some of them feel this is very awkward and they're losing a lot of business. Does our prohibition on bribery overseas, our corporations working, particularly in Africa, where I have several fairly concrete examples of it, um, and does that help? Does that help to uh, correct the situation in those countries? Or does it simply put our companies at a disadvantage? So uh, right now, um, you have to understand US companies are some of them, some of these multinational companies are extremely large and they bring the ability to have significant investment in these countries. Um, and so I do think that there's a lot of countries that want US dollars, want US companies to invest in, and operate in these countries. So I think our anti-bribery laws are critical and I think they have been uh, a very positive force uh, in uh, curbing certain corrupt activities around the world. Has it been perfect? Are there other countries where there's multinationals uh, going in to some of these countries and uh, paying the bribes? Sure. I think that there we need to have a, a, a more holistic approach. Um, right now, we say to companies, don't pay the bribe. Uh, and you know, to those that don't pay the bribe, that's terrific. And I do think it's had a positive impact. But we also need to go in and try and change the, help these countries change their environments. And in fact, uh, the US State Department and our aid agencies have put corruption as a priority. Um, for the first time in history, uh, an administration has come out with a national strategy to combat corruption. They've called it a national security priority. Uh, and these are important steps because it means that our aid dollars are now going to try and help countries where there is a window of opportunity to end their corrupt practices or, or make themselves more, have more transparent government to help try and curb the corruption. And I, look, there are absolutely countries out there in which this is never going to change. There's leaders that are, I, I, that are just not gonna change and we're not gonna make the difference. I get that. But there are countries where there are, um, as the State Department says, a window of opportunity where you have some leaders that are trying to battle uh, the, the accepted practices you say, or you know the culture that exists, but they need support, they need resources, uh, they need the opportunity uh, to try and have the anti-corruption forces win out. And our government is starting to take that more seriously, and we're trying to push and pressure them to do as much as they possibly can. Thank you, Gary Kalman, Executive Director of Transparency International US. That's our show for today. And uh, mind where you go and how you spend your money. Somebody may want to take it illegally. Cheers. Our program, White House Chronicle, is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your pocket.